Hello, you're listening to a spoiler-filled film conversation. Hooray! The Hidden Fortress. Hello, and welcome. You have uncovered us in the Hidden Fortress that is our WordPress site and have pressed play. Now we shall chat about another The Hidden Fortress that is a film. Smattering of applause, anyone? Who are you? Who are we? <laughs> Who are we? We are the lonely peasants. <laughs> the <laughs> impoverished and stupid people <laughs> scrapping over the treasure that is uh, a wonderful piece of cinema. Uh, I'm Richard. Hello. Wave, wave, wave. With me to have the argument is uh, Jamie. I'm ready for an argument, if that's what you want. <laughs> Yeah, this isn't going to be an argument. We all fucking love this. Says Abby, controversially. Well, I'll, sh- I'll show you. <laughs> yeah, that's Abby. And the always agreeable Anthony. Hello. He, 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 he's the one who'd set himself on fire to save everyone, I think, of the group. <laughs> and he will prove that now. <laughs> show your loyalty. <laughs> no. Oh. I've underestimated his love of us all. Overestimated. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we're a film podcast, so let's film podcast now. The film was what, Jamie? This week's film was my pick. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Uh, th- this week's film is uh, Bum It in the Fire. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, we'll get to that. It is The Hidden Fortress from 1958, directed by Akira Kurosawa. Uh, it stars Toshiro Mifune, um, who is, I think, everybody's idea of a, a cinematic samurai, even now. Um, Minoru Chiaki, I apologise already for all of these pronunciations. I don't know how to properly pronounce a lot of Japanese. Or, uh, or English. doesn't matter which. Yeah, we are, I, uh, we are mostly Welsh, so apologies for everything we say. Kamatari uh, <laughs> Fujiwara, Susumu Fujita, Takashi Shimura, uh, Misa Uihara. Anyway... <laughs> But definitely, a, definitely a C minus on the old Japanese exam yeah. there. I know the how weird to thing pronounce... about it is your lack of confidence manifests by sounding drunk. Yeah, I think that's just generally how I sound. Um, uh, from IMDb, uh, lured by gold, two greedy peasants unknowingly escort a princess and her general across enemy lines. Yeah, that's it. I guess sentences. Yeah, two... pretty much. Two plus hour film. <laughs> Although I will say, I feel like I've disproportionately complained about certain films being too long in some of our recent episodes. This is one of those films where the runtime is almost entirely justified. Well, there's lots of uh, disparate parts. I definitely think there's the potential to cut it down if need be. I don't. I enjoyed it all, so I could. I, I could wouldn't... understand if someone did find it too long, but it is one of those films that's like, no, it makes sense for it to be that long. Yeah, you you know, it's got a lot of 
of story to tell. Why not, isn't it? Mm. Even though it's fairly it, it, simple. It did have a weird dichotomy because it did, it it did have, like the scenes were a slightly slower pace, but the transition between the scenes were like lightning fast. Mm. That was a lot. Hmm. But yeah, um, Jamie, did you pick this because you had seen it or hadn't seen it? So this, I, the reason I picked this is partly because I've always known it as the supposedly the the main, like the biggest influence on the first Star Wars film, like the original before George Lucas even renamed it New Hope. Like sorry, what's uh, Star Wars? What's what's Star Wars? It's this. It's this in, indie film that came out in the 70s that everyone's kind of forgotten about. But, um, hmm. it, uh, yeah, it was the the biggest influence on Star Wars. I didn't realise until I actually watched it how much it did actually take from this film. Um, but also, recent... I know we don't want to date the podcast, but in the, the unnamed year that we're doing this, in which there is a global pandemic, <laughs> um, the... Um, I I have been playing the recently or maybe years ago released Jesus Ghost of <laughs> Sorry, you've been playing a samurai video game, you're saying? Yeah, I got Ghost of Tsushima on the PS4, which has been like a I haven't seen much in the way of like samurai movies or anything like that. Mm. So playing that I kinda thought that this is a gap, this is a blind spot in my film nerdery. Um, and also a lot of the films that I like take influence from films from this genre. Sure. So I should probably actually watch a fucking Akira Kurosawa film at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, other than saying, oh yeah, the only samurai films I've seen are The Last Samurai and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I felt like I should remedy it. There's a big spectrum um, in the middle of that lot, yeah. Yeah, so, and, you know, Kurosawa is kind of the name in actual Japanese samurai movies. Well, he's just the fucking... He's the fucking Don of Japanese cinema. He's like the Alfred Hitchcock of Japan, I would say. Not, not, not like, tit for tat, but... Stylistically, but... Era-wise. Yeah. Oh, he's the... Kurosawa's the fucking man, is is what he is. And I know... Because, you know, I had some other ideas as well of... You know, I think Rashomon was one of them. And the Seven Samurai, which... You know, was remade as the Magnificent Seven. So it, a lot of and Rashomon, the way the story is told, did a lot to influence other things. Hmm. But I knew, like this one, because of the Star Wars connection, and also apparently this was the first one that he made specifically for like commercial appeal. Was it like, like widescreen was... deliberately? Like yeah. it was the first widescreen yeah. he made. It was his first widescreen film. It was a sort of. I guess it was it was the equivalent of the time because this was sort of pre the idea of blockbusters, but it's the equivalent of like making I don't know like a, an Avengers movie now, like a big kind of actiony in, like epic. Well, don't um, overstate it. It's not like full of uh, like flying laser battles or anything. No, it's and it's better than any of the Avengers movies. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's but it's it's uh, a little bit simpler as well. In fairness. I was surprised, actually, because, um, like Jamie said, coming into this, one of the main things you know is that this was a big influence on Star Wars, which is essentially the biggest Hollywood kind of like blockbuster 
that there's ever been. Oh, that's Star and, Wars! <laughs> and uh, I was quite surprised how much this film seemed to be uh, more influenced by kind of like big Hollywood films. Yeah, yeah it's, it reminded me a lot of because, you know, obviously the spaghetti westerns, like the, the Sergio Leone westerns, were influenced by samurai movies. Yeah. But certain samurai movies also took influence from earlier western movies. Like, there's a feedback loop going on mm. um, where you just get this kind of rolling influence. I didn't um, expect there to be a Millennium Falcon in this. Like, I, and I was like, yeah. oh my god, that's where he got it from. They all flying around samurais in space, amazing. As I, and again, you know, with any with any sort of film that you know is very influential that you've never seen, I started to recognise as the film went on, not just Star Wars, but like elements of, of storytelling and character types from other things that I like and other things we've done. Like, I recognise some like Road Warrior stuff in here, like some Mad Max type stuff. Um, there were bits of kind of an Indiana Jones feel to some of it. Like it's it's mm. a huge. I like going back and looking at these kind of cultural focal points. Yeah, like the before there was this, there was this. Like it's like the yeah. oh, everything is ripped off this. I see. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's definitely uh, an important film, but it's, it's definitely one of the less mentioned. Like obviously, anyone who's uh, a Kurosawa fan knows a little bit of the catalogue. But it's usually the first ones mentioned are like Seven Samurai, Rosh, Rashomon, maybe Yojimbo or Ran or something, because those are the critically acclaimed slash copied ones. Um, Wasn't Fistful of Dollars? Was that the one that was a yeah? So Leone kind of remake. Yeah, basically went. Oh, that's good. We'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, you fucking um, won't. <laughs> like, but sued. yeah, I think I would. I would think. Seven Samurai is probably the one with the most name recognition. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, with good reason. They're all great films, and uh, this this is no exception, but I'm glad we did this one, because it was a little more obscure, I suppose. Um, Abby, had you come... How much Kurosawa had you consumed prior to this, and had you seen this before? Let me think now. Seven Samurai, yes. Started to watch Ram. Wanted to die. Stopped watching. Rambo. I did. I did find it. A, <laughs> did a, a shade long. There's some good. There's some good shit there, but also, you know, uh, tiring. Yeah. Uh, Rashman. And I'm sure I've seen one. Did we watch one the other day? Where we're like, um, fuck, what was that? It was the one that was ripped off Hamlet. Not ripped off. I mean, Kurosawa took Hamlet, and I think adapted he's. A, yeah. I think he adapted it in two different films as well. So. We watched one where... Oh, it was Macbeth. What was it, the Macbeth one we were watching? They were about the fortresses. Fucking hell, this is good stuff. You could tell we're, <laughs> tell we're film nerds. I don't remember. But not a huge amount. Like, like if, the big touch points like we were talking about, but I haven't really gone deep. There's no reason for it, either. I've, I've found... Except for Ran, I have found all of his stuff compelling. Yeah. And Mafune is, like, clearly, like, Kurosawa liked him and wanted to use him. I mean, they did stop working together, but they were, they worked with each other time and time again. And it, M- Mafune is just so charismatic, always, like, incredible on screen. There's something, he just, 
he brings to whatever role he's doing so much extra on top of just being in the role. His micro expressions, uh, his humor, his his like weird facial expressions are great. His I manner. Ever, I'd only ever seen like pictures of him and very brief clips, um, but actually watching this almost as soon as he turns up on screen, you just have this like holy fuck, this guy and his tiny shorts. Yeah, oh yeah. There's def- there's mad 70s shorts vibes to them all. They're all in tiny shorts. It's like a fucking California beach party all the time. But he has such fucking meaty legs as well. <laughs> all that horse riding and stunt shit. I don't know. It's okay, so like a, a few Abbey, but like you hadn't seen this one. No. I hadn't. This was one of the anomalies on my, like, when I've been exploring his films. This is one I hadn't seen. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm usually quite favourable to them. A lot of people love Ran, and I just maybe I didn't get it enough or something. I don't know, but I just did. I felt like it was too epic and too boring, <laughs> like for me. I prefer them. Do them pared down and a little bit smaller, I guess. Um, I seem to remember there being some really like they. I think part of the fuss was like. Wow, look how still the horses and the riders are being. Yeah. Good. I, whenever I think about film length, I remember that I think it's the third Pirates of the Caribbean is like two hours and 40 minutes long. And I, considering it's based on a roller coaster ride or something, no, like a theme park ride, well, you should be really quick, shouldn't it? Like considering it's the third film in a series based on. Third yeah. of five. You had, yeah, I mean, you had your time to get in the store anyway. Yeah, let's we'll not talk about that. Um, but yeah, anyway, I was looking forward to this one. Anthony, yourself, what was your expectations? Um, well, I'd seen I'd seen a few, about the same as Abby. I've seen Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, uh, Rashomon. A lot of run, but not all of it, for similar reasons, <laughs> I assume. <laughs> So yeah, and I've enjoyed them all. So coming into this one, there is... I was expecting it to be good, obviously. But there are a few things with some of his older stuff that has aged a little bit. A certain... Like the acting in a lot of older kind of like Japanese um, samurai stuff is very heightened. Melodramatic. Yes, mm. it comes off a little bit weird to like a, a modern sensibility. I, I, I was watching, looking at them all generally. You go, this is why. I mean, Kurosawa liked Shakespeare because he, you know, did the stories. Mm. But like his actors and the way he films them suited like the kind of play, the, the just Shakespeare's vibe, his sense of humor, his way of telling a story. It kind of suited that kind of play. We're putting on a show. We're gonna te- we're gonna have the well, comedy emphasized by the, the actors in a certain way. That's also kind of um, you know that's true of films from, of this era from the UK and uh, the US. I think especially like it's it, the acting is very even though it's on film, it's still like film acting hadn't necessarily divorced itself from theatre acting. So it was still very like people were very much projecting themselves and exaggerating their performances as if they were performing to an audience. And especially given like kind of Japanese 
theatre traditions. Yeah. Which are even more, like, elaborate and heightened. Than... Yeah, there was some, like, kabuki-type stuff. I'm sure we'll get to the uh, performance of uh, the princess. Hmm. We will. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, um, maybe I was expecting a, a slightly slower film. Um, um, but then I was also expecting great characters uh, and memorable things happening. Sure, okay, that's good. So not no one trepidatious, really. Uh, oh, I remembered the film. Uh, the Macbeth uh, adaptation was Throne of Blood. It was quite good, although... That's a, that's a better name than Macbeth. It, it is. And you can say it. You don't have to say the Scottish throne. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, back to what we're supposed to be talking about. Uh, I guess we should just go through it bit by bit. I mean, we, we won't... Uh... No, it's two hours long. <laughs> we'll just... No, but, so, like, it's relatively little happens. Yeah, it's, it's a weird... A... Yeah. It's like they spend a lot of time just arguing. Yeah, it's it's mainly a film mainly consisting of characters arguing and bickering with each other about what to do and what's going on and uh the actual, um the actual beginning of the film, like the the establishing scene of the two thieves, what are their names? Tahe and uh Matt Matashishi or Matashishi? I can't, I don't remember exactly how to pronounce it, it's... but the two thieves are C-3PO and R2-D2 in the desert in Star Wars. <laughs> Only one of them doesn't they whistle. Even... No, but they even split up. They even, like, fight, split up, and then end up reunited within a similar time frame. Yeah, I don't rem... I... I don't remember C-3PO and R2-D2 being quite so uh, underhanded. They're not always trying to rip everyone off whenever they get the opportunity. I mean, I was going to say they don't call each other shithead. But Shitworm fair, or whatever. Shitworm, yeah. 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 To be no. fair, you never actually get a, a direct translation of what R2-D2 is saying, so you could be... Oh, maybe. <laughs> Your big golden boner, fucking dickhead. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's all the whistling is. His all of his exple- expletives being like cut yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was it? Oh, that, this is something we you know uh, should bring up. So uh, we all watched the subtitled version, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, me and Abby had a few flaws in our subtitles. <laughs> Initially, it was just the word, the letter F or FR would be changed to like. N with a squiggly line G instead. What? what? Is that not what happened? No, I mean, I I, I had a different version because I, I rented the Criterion version, so like the subtitles were whatever were, you know, was well, correct. On that yeah. yeah. But what's the N with a squiggly What? I don't, I don't know. It was just, it just, every now and again, there'd be like an inexplicable change of letters. And then, <laughs> but then towards. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It, it was, you could understand most of it. You could go, oh, I could guess what that word is, and it was usually F's, I think. But then, towards the end, Abby, what was the thing that changed? You know, you, I mean, you read it, and I mean, I want you to say what it was because it was funnier <laughs> to hear it. Uh, it kept saying "bubbit in the fire" instead of <laughs> in the fire." <laughs> I so close. I mean, an R next to an N does look like an M. <laughs> but, uh, I, did, I did check. I did get really close to the TV, and I was like, "Nope, that's an M." Bum it in the fire. <laughs> 
just a nice phrase to use. Oh, bum it in the fire. <laughs> I'm through with it. Do you want the rest of this pasty? Bum it in the fire. <laughs> Not interested. So I would every now and again you'd be like, the fuck? <laughs> when you were reading the subtitles. But, you know, for the most part it was fine. Everyone else's subtitles seemed normal, right? Yeah, pretty much. They didn't say bum it in the fire for you, Anthony? <laughs> they did not. Oh, good. But yeah, that's what, you know, we did have a slight confusion, I suppose, there. But yeah, um... Do you, go do on, you think, and it's it's a, it's one of the strengths of the film, and I do, I feel like this is kind of a good indicator of an action or adventure movie working well, is the fact that you can follow most of what's happening, even if you don't necessarily understand the dialogue. Like, you could watch most of this film just in Japanese with no subtitles and pretty much still follow what's happening just by what's actually happening. Yeah, you might need the odd thing like what have they found yeah, in the, what have they found in the twig? Oh, it's gold. We can't see the color gold in this, but No, but the fact that they bite it. Oh yeah, it's true. Like, no, that's true. Thought, like, oh, it's gold. Yeah. Yeah, you might be like, oh, they they're drawing straws. What for? Oh, who's going to rape the woman? Great. Yeah, that mm, <laughs> I kind of wish that wasn't in it. Yeah, points <laughs> off there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah I, what Although I... I do also like the, the peasant girl then threatening them with a fucking rock. That's <laughs> good. It's good work. I mean, it keeps them at bay. Uh, yeah, so this is the... The interesting thing is... Uh, we focus more... So, like, Star Wars didn't make it all about C-3PO and R2-D2. Much... Which I think is a shame in many ways. Um, you say that, but remember how much they were in the prequels. <laughs> they do, that's after the fact, yeah, yeah. R2D2 has rocket feet, and <laughs> there's that all cartoon sequence where they go through the factory in Episode Two. I'm not fucking getting into this. I'm already getting angry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like we don't. It's we're not. It's not Star Wars time. But the t- the two peasant guys. I'm not, I can't remember their names. Just one and two. The the younger guy with a dish rag around his head. Oh, this is it. Like, it's not only, like, are they all basically in shorts, but, like, one guy, I mean, they're peasants, so they can't afford proper armour, but one of them's just got, like, uh, a crop top <laughs> with armour, like, just, <laughs> yeah. like, armour on the arms and just a kind of boob tube worth of, of armour. And he has the old uh, washing dishes rag tied around his head. And the other guy has the lovely bald-on-top hair everywhere else. Uh, samurai yeah. cuts, and he's like oh. looking like like a kind of just a little bit older and craglier than his Prop- younger counterpart. Props to everyone in the film who committed to that hairstyle <laughs> while they were filming this. Yeah, well, uh, let's I- have a look in it. That's the night that Mifune hardly ever has a bizarre haircut. He always has fairly traditional long hair, doesn't he? Just tied up. Lucky bastard. <laughs> Mm. And he and he always gets to be like scruffy as well. All the other samurais have to basically shave and look tidy, and he's always the fucking trampiest looking one. Usually, because that says rogue and outsider a bit more. But anyway, they, I liked that it was it was focused mainly on these two do badders because they're you know they're they're peasants. They cause the whole setup is they've missed a battle. They're kind of incompetent and and down on their luck, and now that they've missed the battle. Their side is mistaking them for being the enemy, so they're in a whole heap of trouble, and they're kind of they're a pair, but they also spent all their time arguing. Yeah, I liked I liked the story at the beginning to set them up, which was essentially like they sold all their stuff 
to go to war in order to make more money and have success, but they ended up getting there too late and were mistaken for the wrong side. I think that's just like a great way to set up these two. Yeah. There is... Um, while I was watching, like, really early, like, as soon as it started with this fight between these two characters, you kind of, especially when you go in with, a like, a modern film, like, a modern viewer uh, mentality, you immediately recognize what is is being set up, is that these two are the characters that are going to be, like, essentially the main characters that everything else is built around. Um, so as soon as that kind of twigged with me, I was like, okay, I'm already on board with what's going to happen here. Because you, if whenever an an epic or an action movie is focused primarily on a, you know, if it was just focused on Mufune's character, Makabe, General Makabe, um, that's when things have the potential to be very dull. Like you, you need that. It's not necessarily even comic relief, but that relatability of well, having someone who isn't like the epic hero be the main character to well, carry everything else. It's more interesting to focus on the cowards than it is yeah. to the, the stoic hero, because that's the thing: is Mifune is usually the underdog or the sort of the outsider. Like he doesn't usually play the heroic one; he's usually a slob or, or uh, a shamed samurai or something. So in this more kind of prestigious role, he's like the smart. I think he's like a successful general, even if he his army has failed or whatever. But anyway, he's the prestigious hero, so they have to be contrasting, and that makes it more interesting focusing on these two fucking shabby losers <laughs> who can't get their act together and are endlessly trying to see what's in it for them and run away from any peril. And, and I also, I really enjoy. Maybe this is a British thing um, that everybody like they. Don't stop bickering. Yeah, Ever. It's, good, it's so funny. Unlike that dichotomy of they have, where they can be bickering a lot, and then in times of peril, they're uh, they're best friends again. Yeah, yeah. Instantly, and yeah. then immediately not as soon as something <laughs> yeah. is offered. And there's no explanation for why they are paired up. They're just friends. There's no. Like, oh, they're brothers, cousins, they have some sort of job together. Like, they're both just two chances together. It doesn't matter yeah. where or why they've came from. I feel like um, if this was made now, they would go into their backstory, or they would set up, like, a prequel that would then come out that goes into how they met. Yeah, maybe. And the thing that surprised me was that they essentially, as characters, don't really have an arc or change. No. Or get or get a redemption really at all. But there's this maybe a hint of they've learned something at the very, very end. But then if I I suppose if they kept following them they'd probably fall out again. Yeah, they don't learn anything necessarily. They just get something at the yeah. end finally. But like uh so and it's also they throw in some real death. Like they put people die. It's not like they live in a easy going life. I mean, they literally, they go up a hill and get, like, the men are also with them. I think, like, just a warrior's murdered in front of them and left, yeah. like, on the ground in, like, clawed hand in the air. <laughs> like, yeah. terrifying. That was a really, yeah, I like that. That was a really cool touch of just sort of very visual, um, horror i guess like just that idea of someone being killed so suddenly that they're effectively frozen in place yeah 
And so, but basically, these two guys, they, they, they're, they're hanging around with a bunch of other people who are in danger. Other people are being killed around them. And they, they eventually do manage to get to the first, like, bit of safety they have. And then they're just caught, because they look how they do, they're just caught up in a fray with a bunch of uh, prisoners of war, I guess, and are muddled into the bunch because the soldiers are just like, fucking get in line. And they just end up going to a kind of slave prison camp and being forced into horrible circumstances, don't they? They they end up on the big transport thing that the Jawas are driving. Oh, right. That have all of the other droids on the way. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and then the droids are made to dig gold in their pants in a big <laughs> pool of water. Abby, what did you make of their amazing prison break? I it was just—I don't remember why there was a riot. It just it happened. So well done, because it was just right. All of you guys, fuck over these guys, okay? There's <laughs> a good sense of like a swell of people just getting out yeah that there are a lot there are a lot of moments in this film um that i guess we'll get to as well but this is this is one of the early examples of it that looked terrifying to film like there's just extras who are getting hurt yeah yeah just (laughs) everyone pile in and we'll film it and fuck health and safety just go for it yeah all right you lie there and I'll put the camera on you, and then on when I, whenever I say action, everyone run over this, this guy. <laughs> no, he'll be fine, don't worry about it. Maybe there were some real corpses on the ground by the end. <laughs> but, but, you know, essentially, our two protagonists are scared and hide in, like, an alcove in the prison, where like, everyone else is rioting and fighting off the guards, and, go, like, the mob are all going one way, and they're left behind, cowering and expecting to die. And then, cowardice works. Yeah, just cower in a corner, and then when everyone's fucked off, yeah. But they they basically take advantage of the fact that they kind of just realise, oh, it's gone quiet. Maybe we can run out another exit, like hop over some broken bit of fence and fuck off. Seeing as we weren't meant to be here in the first place, and I, I I liked that their success was through fear and through for being pussies and just they just luck out for once. And it's, a, it's such a weird... You think, oh, they're in prison. We're going to have a whole fucking section in the prison here. No. <laughs> See you later. One riot. Out we go. I was relieved, in a way, because prison movies can be quite a grind, can't they? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. In the sense that they're very formulaic. I mean, any movie can be a grind. We were talking... I brought up Pirates of the Caribbean earlier. <laughs> that's true. It's any, Yeah, that's true. Anything could ruin a film. And this one, uh, I was just glad. I was glad they got free again. Um... I like I like it when, especially if it's um, from a, for a film from 1958, um, it, doing something that a lot of films are still kind of afraid to do, where unrelated things happen to the main characters that change the story, and then it never comes up again because sometimes yeah. that just happens in reality. Yeah, like none of the other, all of the other main characters have no idea they were in prison. They don't mention it to them. It yeah, bears no difference. It just shows yeah. you the suffering these guys have gone through. And they also they also managed to get out just because because they managed to get out. Uh, one of the funs, one of, one of the things that really made me laugh was so the guys are separated in the prison and I guess on def- different areas, different duties, and they see each other and they're like waving like ah hello we're we're, <laughs> we're, we're we're going different ways and we're being forced to by the prison guards but friend hey <laughs> and so like oh these guys they're cool with each other they always want to be together no matter like it's almost like they're gay <laughs> but they're not. 
They're just friends who want to hang out. They're just miserable together. When they're on their own as well, and they they argue and talk, and like they're at a campfire, and what you know, they I think they instantly go like the next scene is them stealing rice from someone and running away and just trying to survive on the land. Uh, there's it's very much a uh, waiting for Godot vibe to some of the scenes where they're just on their I own was, chatting. Yeah, I was preparing to call them Vladimir and Estragon at some point. <laughs> I see, and it's funny because we talked about like waiting for. Uh, Whatchamacallit, Guffman, last time, didn't we? Oh, that's one of our podcasts from just now, just the other day. And it feels like that's on our mind now. I don't know if it's. I don't know if that put that idea there, or if this felt Waiting for Godot esque anyway. No, I, I mean, this had more Waiting for Godot in it than that film actually did. That's true, actually. Much more barren landscapes with two credulous idiots chatting <laughs> shit. So that's fair. Okay, good. I'm pretty sure it. Except in this one, Godot turns up and it's a, he's a samurai. <laughs> and it's a big problem, because he might have killed yeah. you if you didn't show signs of a plan for getting... Because this is the thing. Uh, the two guys just went across the border. That, their plan is to go home, but there's a whole border patrol problem that they have a plan for. But it's, it's uh, you know, I guess the the thing that happens to them is they find some gold like in a in a stick and they're like what the fuck like they've they basically picked up some kindling is that right they picked up some yeah. kindling and then they discover there's a bit of gold in one of them and they're like elated but also confused and then are like desperately checking all the sticks and cracking them open and looking for more gold in the magical sticks um like, how many do they find they only they find more than one don't they uh, just the two. Yeah, the two that they are incapable of dividing up fairly <laughs> between the two of them. It's good, good work. And this gets the attention of... Uh, they're, they're in and around where the Hidden Fortress is. is. They don't know that. But uh, emerging on top of a big pile of rocks on a, on a cliff face is... Uh, General, what's his name? Yeah, I can't remember. Mafuni. Makabe. Makabe, yeah. right. And we don't know he's a general at that point, but there's some, you know, mysterious stranger turns up and has spotted them, and they're, you know, back down into cowardice again. Oh shit! Get out of here! We, a, don't let him know about the gold. B, act natural and get away. I really like this protracted sequence of them, kind of not running away from him, just walking away as he quietly follows them at a distance, and they sort of mutter to each other, and then he comes to the campfire, and it's essentially about 20 minutes of the film is just him fucking with them. Yeah. Just sitting there, <laughs> saying nothing, but be, yeah. being a bully, but or passively, like he just asserts himself and has a confidence that puts them on edge. And what I like, what I like about them, as guys... As comedy characters, and as guys, their acting natural is so fake. <laughs> Whenever they're like trying to be incognito and not give away what they're up to, they always do the hammiest job of acting normal. So like all the other characters they deal with just behave normally and look at them like, these fucking idiots. <laughs> they can't have a secret between... They're always shouting their secrets about gold and betrayal and things. So they they can't possibly get away with anything. But yeah, I do like the campfire scene. I like the rev, rev, I like the revelation that 
Mufuni is basically going to go there and kill them for fight. Like they, he, it's the gold he knows about it, and he, he's like, uh, we find out that him and his situation has a lot of gold hidden in sticks, and that basically if these two persons find it, they're going to be trouble. So he has to kill them. So he's planning on killing them, and it's only because they garble out some suggestion of what, the, like nervously they talk without, like he says nothing. And they talk in order to feel comfortable and to sort of not be killed, I guess. And they just bl- yeah. blather on and draw diagrams in the sand as to what their plan is for the setup for this film, I guess. Which, does anyone want to have a go at explaining the border thing? I mean, it's crucial to understanding what the fuck is going on, but yet simultaneously I mean, it's irrelevant. It's rather than crossing directly over the border to where they need to get back to, they need to go around cross into a different region yeah because it's like um, it's not as heavily guarded as the actual border but it is enemy territory yeah so they're taking a risk but less of an obvious risk yeah and so because they have this notion of oh we can get around this problem by you know going a longer winded way around this is enough to sort of, uh, I guess. I guess this general guy just decides, oh, Dale, these, this is a good plan, and also I guess we need people to do grunt work, so I'll bully them into being kidnapped, and they'll go along with it because they're scared of me. What did you guys make of the relationship uh, he has with the two peasants? <laughs> like Jamie said at the beginning, essentially, like their first interaction for a long time is him just mysteriously fucking with them in some way or another and just keeping them off the trail of um, the princess and the gold. Just never filling them in on the full picture. Because he could just tell them, right guys, if you want to be rich, you found this gold, I could get you more gold. He he knows that they're A, potentially treacherous, and B, you know, morons who might fuck this up, but they potentially are strong. So that's his, that's his game, is to not let them in on too much and like use them as, uh, you know, I guess subjects. In his eyes, they're pretty much just one up from donkeys, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, they're an You're asset so... as lo- they're, they're, an a- they're an asset as long as their backs hold up, really. <laughs> I uh, I also like the fact that they just do what he says almost without him having to say it. He just he just kind of intimidates them into ending up doing things which also involves digging a fucking hole basically doing what they were doing in the prison. Yeah, and for nothing as well. He has them dig yeah. a hole just as, for some for his logic is to see how strong and like how much energy they have. It's like he's testing animals to see how, you know, useful oh, they like, can be. Um, uh, that, the moment where um, I think they think he's helping them look for sticks and he or hasn't gold, really or, explained yeah. why he's still there and he's and they're talking about where they're going and he points up and says I have my eye up there and they there's just this long painful sequence of them trying to scramble up a hill which the first which it's is, the first con isn't it where he hangs yeah. back and says we're going up there and they, yeah, we, as you say, Jimmy, they're scrambling up the hill for ages and really fighting the rock and genuinely doing it as well. Yeah, and then they reach the they reach the top. They they find a hidden fortress, 
and then he just walks out of one of the doors because there's a path. Yeah. It's great as well, because he's just at the summit like, hey guys, you right? And they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and they're really betrayed. Like, he, sh- he shows them, basically, there was an easier, quick way round, and they're all fucked off, because he didn't say. And that, that that just, like, from that point on, they're just, they have to do what he says, because he, at any point, could have a card up his sleeve, I guess. And they, they very much, you know, they want to take advantage of their situation, but they don't hold all the cards, so I guess they go along with everything. There's this really good uh, dynamic that is established here and carries on through pretty much the entire film until like towards the very end, where whenever they're alone together and he's not there, they always seem to think they can get the upper hand over him if they're clever enough. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that it keeps failing in like really miserably as well, like as soon as they confront him, it fails. Yeah, every time they're left alone, it is, oh, maybe we can betray people. And that's good, because yeah. that never that doesn't happen enough in regular stories in movies. Like in movies, everyone just does whatever's appropriate. But, you know, people who don't... They're in it for themselves. They can... Like, at any point, it, if it's advantageous to them, they should cut and run, or try and fuck you over. They have no loyalty to you. They're not servants of you, really. So why would they feel like, oh, we mustn't do anything wrong, you know. And it's also, it, um, like Anthony said about them not having an arc, this is this remains consistent until the end. Like, it remi- it makes me think of right up when they're getting um, chased by um, the, like, army of samurai and they just fucking bolt and, and disguise themselves as shrubs. Yeah, just classically like a Warner Brothers cartoon. They're hiding in bushes, and they and they go and try and uh, like dob in the general and yeah. the princess, only so, to be yeah. laughed at because they're all already caught. Like it's I, I, I what's great. What's great is characters don't go anywhere. They spend so many time. They spend so much time on the road with these other characters they beat, and then yeah, even at the end, they're like, "We should fuck over our." our <laughs> They basically saved our lives time and time again, but we're still going to try... Oh, we haven't got any money now, so maybe if we can make a quick buck. At every point, they're like, oh, fuck it, in it for ourselves. Screw everything. Never loyal. Never show any sign of redemption. They, But they also... You still end up liking them anyway, even though they're, like, treacherous and dickheads. I, I for one, never was tired of them. Like, I never wanted them to lose or be killed. And there was a good bit at the end where it's like, okay, they could have their redemption now by saving everyone at the end, getting mm. them getting them freed, which I was still kind of expecting. It's yeah. Like, oh well, we know this story. They they've been bastards all the way through. They have to have their yeah. redemption bit at the end, and it just it didn't come. No. No. <laughs> it's surprisingly <laughs> cynical in a in a in kind of a modern way that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. So I guess the the complication once they've been uh, once they're the underlings of uh, the general he said he said like they ask they like they admit everything about them to him but uh, you know they realize he's not very forthcoming with information so they ask him who he is and he says I, they say his name in full all the time as well everyone refers to him as like I still can't remember Rook I said it loads of times they're still like Rook R M Rokuroto Makabe so Makabe. 
is basically a famous general, and they're like, fuck off, you can't, that's the famous general, you, <laughs> you're not him, dickhead. Yeah. Oh dear, you're lying again, we don't trust you. So they just accept that he's lied, and no, no longer care who he is, I guess. But that is who he is, so it's like, it is kind of extra funny. But I guess the complication becomes in, oh, a mysterious woman appears, again in shorts, because everyone's in fucking shorts. With incredible eyebrows. Yeah, yeah, they are tremendous. And generally, I would say, I would describe as having uh, angry gym teacher vibes. <laughs> just throughout, just generally. Yeah. Abby, what did you say was were her characteristic? I just said she was constantly angry. She's always shouting, I think. I think everyone's shouting. Like, Mufune doesn't shout that much. But everyone else is just endlessly shouting. I, I feel like Anthony maybe had something on this too but the delivery of her lines is very strange yeah i don't know if something is lost a bit in translation there um perhaps like like nobility uh in like um ancient japan part of their kind of thing was you know speaking loud and clearly as a sign of dominance perhaps the way i took it was because they talk about um, how she was always like a tomboy, um, and she was always like rebellious and um, very, you know, for a for a princess, very masculine, I guess. And I think the way she delivers her lines is meant to reflect this like unusually aggressive for a girl idea, um, hmm. which is why it's this almost like raspy shout um that's true that's there how was a... i took it like it, it's she's trying to sound like a mix of like more masculine and maybe like a little bit bratty and like i'm not a fool as well she doesn't mm. she's not yeah. uh gonna just do what all the men say it was as the film goes on a surprisingly strong female character for a film from 1958 yeah a, 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 ostensibly about men. Yeah. Uh, th- that's unusual as well, because you know, samurai stories are, just through the very nature, usually going to be about men. I guess uh, in Throne of Blood, because there's the Lady Macbeth character, she's quite established. So, But then she's just a manipulative bitch. So that's the problem there. Whereas this one, yeah, it's like a positive character for ladies to relate to. Isn't that right, Abby? You must have been like, good, a woman at last. I only re- I only relate to women, for I am a woman. I love the way, because she had to pretend to be mute for a bit, and she was just looking at him like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> again, coming back to the, the surprising amount of humour that was in this film, the entire sequence of them discussing how to communicate with a mute and uh, one of the two of them saying, you, like, basically, you idiot, of course she's deaf, she's a mute. The reason she can't speak is because she can't hear. <laughs> and it's just the most phenomenal logic I think I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, the fact that she's she has to play mute at one point speaks more to how she talks, because the when the people who are part of her kingdom, the small group that they are, uh, are planning their, you know, escape to freedom or whatever. They have. They say, "Oh, you, you, she's going to have to pretend to be mute because people will pick up on her accent that she's posh and like the fact that she's a privileged 
woman is, you know, she's a princess, she will sound like that. Peasants, regular folk will like hear it and tell straight away. So that's, I guess, that's another factor to how she must sound. Um, mm. Again, we we you know we're not picking up on any of that because we can't speak Japanese, but we can still we can hear the tone, but we don't know. I mean, it's also a period drama, so that's a factor. Oh, actually. I liked I liked even in the when they come up with the plan to for her to be mute, Mafune is like, ah, oh, you like he tries to double, reverse psychology her. He likes to try to bluff her into going along with it. Like you wouldn't you couldn't do this plan. You wouldn't you're not gonna you don't have what it takes to be silent for the whole trip. And she's like, fuck you. I see what you're doing. Don't reverse psychology yeah. me. I'm smart. I will do it. But not because you've you've tricked me as the man. I'm fucking on to you. I know what you're trying. You won't fucking butter me up and goad me like into doing it. I'll do it on the proviso that it's the right thing to do. And I like that. That makes her a stronger character, I think, as well. Yeah, I was surprised that that because you know, uh, as the audience, you realise what he's going to do is do the reverse psychology thing. But the fact that she immediately figured it out was a surprise. Yeah, because it could easily have just been like, I'm a child or I'm a bratty child, I'll show you. And that would have been lamer, yeah. wouldn't it? It would have been disappointing. But I think the, the the confusing thing for our peasant duo is she's like this stranger that they can't catch. Uh, and Mufuni's like, fuck off, she's mine, right? He doesn't... We don't know what his... He chases after her. Like, and at that point, we don't know they're affiliated so we don't know if he's just trying to rape a woman or he actually does know who she is or she's a rival or something. And she obviously knows where the hidden fortress is. So it does become this like mystery for the, the peasants. And they, well, I think when they end up plotting to abandon the situation or go looking for the gold or whatever it is, they come across her again, don't they? And she's like out in the woods. And I think she drops a coat. They chase her for a bit and she just whacks them with, with various branches to keep them away. I don't think she talks to them, so they believe that she's a mute conveniently, because she doesn't speak. But that's yeah. that's convenient. Um, but yeah, they drop the the Corbin thing happens, but also they discover they uh, there's there's the element of the the hidden sticks in the river and the drinking water and all that. What does anyone want to explain the situation with the water and the the other hidden area? Well, it's just that's where they're keeping the sticks with the gold in. Is in that little. I think it's a. Creek. And there's a there's a, just a scene essentially, I guess, where Buffoonie's like, "You can drink water here, but don't fucking check those sticks. I've checked them." <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, that's fine." Actually, that clues them in, isn't it? They're like, "Oh, he said don't check those, but why do we trust that prick? <laughs> We're gonna that that's where the fucking gold is." They kind of twig, uh huh, twig. At one point, that that could be where the gold is hidden. We spend a bit of time faffing in this fortress, but it's really more of a shed than a fortress, isn't it? Like a shack. I was a little underwhelmed by the look of it. Because seeing as... Well, exactly going to call it Hidden Shed, are they? <laughs> yeah. I think it's more I referring am. to, you know, because they had, like, alcoves in the caves and, like, behind yeah. the waterfall kind of thing. And I, I assume that's, like, part of it. Yeah, and now they have a big ditch where the peasants have been forced to dig for no reason. So that's good. But I don't know, like, when you call your thing Hidden Fortress, I expect a kind of epic battle to ensue in the Hidden Fortress, but it gets burnt off camera. Like, and it's Again, like... um, just before I forget, too, the, them digging in the ditch, I'm pretty sure that it was done as a reverse shot. 
but it's another moment where you kind of realize how dangerous it used to be to make films compared to now. The uh, the moment where they're fighting and one of the two peasants swings the fucking pick at the other Oh my god, head. yeah. I, I am pretty sure that it was done, you know, they filmed him like pulling it out of the rock next to his head and then reversed it. But still, there was a, there was a moment of me watching that and going, oh. <laughs> and also the fact that his reaction to that is to cry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, they're just they're so funny those two. I just love them. Every scene, like they're so over the top, but it works. Like it doesn't feel stupid. It feels I, ju- just correct, and it feels I, like characters. I appreciate the commitment of Kurosawa to just make them unrelentingly pathetic. And it must be so great, just these guys basically in their pants, endlessly tolling and arguing and being the brunt of everything and at the butt of every joke and labouring and just pathetic and sad and and whimpering. (laughs) They're so good. Wait, what's the... We we get introduced to the small... uh, What would you call it around the princess? Her people... like The The entourage. The entourage, right. Abby, what were the who were the characters in the sort of cave area that were in the the, the prince the prince sorry the princess was separate right in like another area and she had like some people they were particularly well defined they were sort of like generic servants who did some planning with the general but you know they died before they really had a chance to actually have any personality yeah they were they were the they were the escorts on the uh, rebel ship that the empire uh, <laughs> slaughtered and kills yeah. So we basically, the story is that this uh, kingdom has been defeated, and that or the no, like there's been yeah. a battle and they are the losers, but the princess can still escape to freedom somewhere else because in a, her original area, what what is it? Yeah, yeah, she's trying to get to like the neighbouring area, which has promised her sanctuary. And then there's another area that have like a bounty on her head. And the the goal is also to ha- start rebuilding her like nation uh, dynasty or yeah. Hmm. But you know, we essentially just got like a may uh, like a yeah like a f- an old lady who's I guess a uh, I don't know what is that like she's like a maid or something I don't know a servant anyway. The older gentleman with his uh, fetching moustache, he often turns up in Kurosawa movies, he's rather good. Uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, mainly because I'd never remember it. I'm lucky I can remember Mufuni's name, to be honest. It's taken me umpteen films to eventually have it stick in my head. But yeah, he's he's good, but they are they are somewhat side characters. This, like uh, you were saying, sort of nothing characters, aren't they, Abby? You were like, you know, what... They're not around long enough really to comment on. They're a mechanism rather than a character. Yeah, they're kind of... Because um, at one point, um, there's news brought back that uh, the princess has been beheaded. Um, and then it, it turns out that that was uh, Makabe's sister, who was also a servant. And then it kind of ties in then. These people end up sacrificing themselves um, to warn... Uh, the princess when they do leave that they've been found and it's a it's a thing that runs throughout about like the princess not being comfortable with uh, people, people dying kind of like for her yeah 
She doesn't like people dying in her name. But it also speaks to the fact that uh, the people around her are quite noble and loyal, like to, to the fact that they're willing to sacrifice themselves for their masters or their betters or whatever they perceive the situation is. And at this point, it's kind of pointless because, you know, you've got to, you know, you kind of, oh, if we kill the princess, we've got a shit ton of gold, right, guys? You know, like, you, they, they have no sense that they would betray the the hierarchy of what they're used to. And I guess they're, yeah. you know, good and people. There's, yeah, there's a, a little sense of it at the beginning, but more so towards the end, that um, they're doing it because she's worth it. Because she will be... She's a, a good, good princess, princess. yeah. Mm. And then this is in contrast to our protagonists, who are complete cowards, cowards and would fuck you over for a dime... <laughs> Uh, you know, or a yen or whatever country, currency. I mean, gold. Gold is the currency in this one, I guess. But yeah, the, uh, so that's the nice contrast. Is It's like, I guess it sets our hero and the princess as traditional good characters, boring as they are. Like, I mean, they're not boring, but like, you know, the, 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 be- the, the more positive you are with less flaws the less we give a shit like it's like oh the boring nice people are dead quite quickly but the bastards they're the ones we have to follow around for the longest amount of time and i like that because it, it does you know provide a more interesting story but that you know they, they come up with this plan that because the uh sister of mafuni has been sacrificed uh That'll give us... No, the one will be looking for the princess now, so that'll make it easier for them to move and take the gold across the various borders and get away to safety and kind of buy their freedom or re-establish themselves. And so that's what... They need the the peasant guys to carry all the fucking gold. And they will, because they want gold. So that they're, they, they'll do that. But they don't know any of this princess stuff. They don't know what, what the whole plot, do they? No, they just they just know it's the gold that they're trying to smuggle out. They're going to they win. Don't realize that the princess is with them. They are going to labor and labor and labor until they eventually get the gold that is promised to them. <laughs> Although I do love that. Essentially, the first opportunity they have, they try and take it all. Yeah, because they get they, they you know they get all the sticks out of the the spring and they basically have awesome backpacks of sticks and all have to get hiking, don't they? Mm. I. Them miming a horse drinking water uh, yeah. was also another highlight for me. <laughs> yeah, because they, they, cause they've established, oh, she's, she must be deaf because they said she's mute. <laughs> we must treat her like she's not only deaf and mute, but r- retarded or something. Really, yeah, just completely incapable of understanding the concept of a horse drinking water <laughs> unless we mime it for her. Yeah, because like, Mufuni has gone to like scout ahead, hasn't he, through the forest, or just look up ahead to cross the river. And they're like, yeah, let's instantly... Right, we're nicking the gold. <laughs> we're yeah. just going to lie to this woman. She fucks with them as well, which is even better. Like, it's that it isn't just him manipulating them into doing what he wants. It's her, like, almost taking out her frustrations on them, because... <laughs> And because they they're established as such shitty people, it's 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 perfectly done so that whenever bad things happen to them, you can just enjoy it. Yeah, I would have I would have quite enjoyed if say R two D two or C three PO had been like, right, 
let's ditch Luke and go nick the Millennium Falcon and fly off. Like, we'll maybe if we we tell Han Solo to pop outside, we're just taking the Wookiee for a walk. Fucking nick the ship, you know. Like, I would have liked uh, these two robots to betray them all the time. Now that I think about it, that actually may have. I mean, I I like the original Star Wars movies a lot, but that that does kind of potentially add a little something extra to it. The idea of these two droids being really like duplicitous and shitty. Yeah, and why wouldn't you? You basically haven't treats you like you're a fucking toaster, just there to be used. Yeah. Um. Very much the second class citizens of the universe are droids. Um. But yeah, basically, they, they once again are peasants bumble it, and they they try like going out into the water, and like if they just get spotted and shot at, and have to retreat. Uh, and I guess meanwhile the princess has rounded up the horses and brought them back or something, isn't it? And mm. but just in time. Yeah, she's she's just back. With, um, but yeah, she she. If I remember right, she like times it so that it's as, as soon as um, the general comes back. Yeah, and he's like, "What the fuck? Oh shit! Everyone's buggered off. I, I have misplaced everyone." And yeah, no, it's all like, "Oh, phew!" The princess has oh, sorted yeah, it out. That was the, the, um, the. There was a shot that made me laugh, and I, I'm sure it's intentional, but it could potentially not have been. Where he comes back and they're gone. But it turns out they're actually just off camera. Yeah, it's just like it just pans across and they're right there. And, then, and also, he could see them based on where yeah. the camera is. He's like, you could just look. That's where you can see, you idiot. Uh, 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 they live in the same universe as wrestling. I was going to say, Abby, it's like your, it's like your favorite bit from all of Kane's uh, interviews, is it? <laughs> Well, he basically, basically, in all wrestling interviews, Kane is just off to the left, but he only exists once they pan there. <laughs> oh, there he is. <laughs> You're right, that is actually how all wrestling works. Like, if you can't literally see them, nobody there can either. Yeah. <laughs> but I think they discover that the fortress has been... But they're kind of like... Uh, you know, sussing out that they're in a bit of trouble. And that they can't retreat because the fortress has been... Like smoke's coming from it, and uh, yeah, they basically conclude that this is. They've obviously burnt. They, they, I guess, they knew that the the people there would sacrifice themselves and burn the fortress. I guess to give them time or something uh, to get away. Uh, so they have to hot foot it uh, if they're gonna get going. And then we get this just it's a bit too sad. You throw in all, all this hilarious comedy, and then those people who helped us died saving me. They sacrificed through. They could have, you know, surrendered, but no, they killed themselves. They go back. They go back to the fortress and they find Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru as charred, smoking skeletons. <laughs> Fuck, that would have been brutal. But where, where, where do they get to? Because there's a point where they go yeah, on. They're trying to sneak across the river, but then the the peasants kind of um, hamper them. So yeah. now, like, it's all being guarded. So they have to go through the official checkpoint, but they don't have any papers. So they have to come up with a plan. It's quite yeah, a good I one. Really I like, like his, like, causing a scene... Acting, yeah. A plan to get them through, yeah. Because it's essentially, oh, we'll take this gold and we'll say, 
like we'll oh we are we've we're on to the people you're looking for or we found this gold uh now give it back and the soldiers are like mate you don't understand tyranny uh we're keeping the gold fuck off through the checkpoint and he's like oh, and he puts up a real big like like you fucked us over we're just people carrying sticks of wood but you, I want my gold back. I found this gold. I'm not, and he, he puts up just enough of a fight not to be executed, but enough to, for it to be plausible that, haha, we've done them over. They can go now. Yeah, and also that those sticks are just firewood, or yeah. like they're just bundles of sticks. Yeah, I mean, it's a good. It's a, it, it works temporarily because then I guess some soldiers turn up and go, Oi, that's them. Yeah. Is it? Do they end up in a town first, or do they? Yeah, they're on. Yeah. A, they go to the town then, the, the tavern, and the whole uh, picking up a new yeah, person to join them. The unfortunate young prostitute who I felt incredibly bad for. Yeah. The woman they encounter is a servant who refuses to prostitute herself with visitors. So the owner of the place is just lamenting that she never has sex with anyone, so she never makes any money. And they end up uh, buying her because she's from the same place. She's, she's from their land originally, and she got yeah. displaced during the war. Yeah, there's a really weird um, plot point that happens where some guy just <laughs> comes up to them and just buys their horse. Yeah, there's a lot of serendipity in a way because they park up their bundles of sticks slash gold and their fancy horse that they're going to make get away on. And then because some like you know well-to-do bloke is like, oh, that's a fucking great horse, he forces buying it on them. And I guess the idea is they can't refuse because it would be suspicious that some peasants are like not letting the horse be sold. Although it is an inconvenience. I mean. It's fucking my horse, mate. I mean, I guess they could buy better horses. Is I mean, they buy what do they buy? Like um, a wagon or something, right? Yeah, a cart. But it's all it which, all works out for the best. Is, yeah, which is also serendipitous because then because they picked up a new person and they got rid of the horses. The description of who who they're looking for has changed, so they would pass easier that way. Yeah. Well, in this uh, tavern scene, I guess they spend the night there, but fundamentally, the guy who owns the tavern's like, oh, this sexy bitch, like, the princess is there, and she's less plain than his current annoyed possession woman, I guess. I, I thought she was a dishwasher. <laughs> I was like, oh, she's a prostitute. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, the women are objects owned by men. Oh, I hate the past. Um, but... Like he sees this attractive woman and is like, "I'll buy her from you." Like everyone's trying to buy everything, uh, but then the peasants walk in and, "Oh, you don't want her, mate. She's mute." And then the guys are, like, "Oh yeah, shit." Then he nearly bought a fucking mute woman. That would suck. Why would I want a prostitute who doesn't talk? That that's awful. Apparently, apparently being mute is a real drawback as a prostitute. I don't know. But anyway, they do have a different posse, different setup, and it, they don't match descriptions. And they do get checked, don't they? They get checked on the road, but the stupid idiot uh, samurai or soldiers or whatever uh, don't check the parcel and the bundles, uh, and so fuck off. But then, because the peasants are like, yeah, they didn't check, they're idiots, they obviously come back. And then Mifune comes into action, basically. It's the first proper battle bit, isn't it? 
this um yeah this is this leads to i what i think is probably my favorite scene in the film or sequence in the film which is first of all again talking about how fucking dangerous some of this looks yeah. the horse chase um it looks so intense that like the horse like he chases after a guy in a horse doesn't he but like He's so still with just his sword up and the horse is galloping yeah. like fuck. It looks terrifying. He's not holding any reins or anything. He's both hands are on his sword as the horse fucking charges across the screen. And then yeah, we come to his meeting with uh not a friend, is like a, a rival general. Because yeah. he, he murders they, a couple of the guys and this one guy's about to get away and as he catches him it's just at the opening of like a soldier camp, isn't it? And it, he's yeah. basically got, he's like caught there like, oh, <laughs> uh, hi guys. And then luckily his rival general friend, enemy, frenemy sees him and goes, oi, mate. They have a stick fight. It's amazing. <laughs> It's really Which good. Is a, yeah, it's a really oversimplified way of saying it's a proper, like, violent, um, very raw duel with spears. Um, and, like, the whole thing happens essentially in real time with these two guys just, like, going at each other in really, like, formal, powerful stances. Um, and they, again, they... this is... Go on. It's speaking to uh, how you know how a lot of people, a lot of men in the fifties, um, in who were considered like you know fit, strong men, were kind of just constantly holding in their gut and puffing <laughs> out their chest, and that was kind of like the nineteen fifties strong man look. But like, Mufune is genuinely like you never. I don't think you ever see him like. You never see his whole physique. You just see his arms and his legs. But he looks like he would fuck you up completely. Well, he moves. It, like, he moves very suddenly. Whenever he's in in any role, even in other roles, he's quite a lethargic character. And then all of a sudden, he has this incredible pace and manic movement about him. So he's very fast and, it's, and agile. It's seeing him do all of these stances where he, yeah, where he like poses with the. Um, with the spear and just like freezes and you can see him like a fucking coiled spring like i don't know i'm usually not fussed for like sword fights or anything like that in films i just don't... like they can be cool or whatever but eh, you know yeah take them all easy. but like this was one of the times where i was like just impressed watching something like watching the two actors do this duel was incredible to see yeah I think one thing that impressed me is that they they like there's a ring of soldiers. This is like oh these guys are fighting. It's not all about it's not a war thing. This is a duel. Yeah. All the soldiers will be there to watch, and these two guys fight, and they it kind of gets like a wrestling match where they 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 brawl to the outside or, or not not yeah, the out. Yeah. They kind of get into an area where there's objects and they start knocking over. I don't know. They have like a curtained off area with. Uh, easels set up or something, but they're like knocking them over, and they manage to tear every curtain in a different way. Yeah. They either <laughs> poke through it or tear a square or slice through it or jump through it, and they they find every way to kind of fall over the furniture and fight through it before they eventually, up, you know. They end up outside of the ring. Yeah, where, walk uh, and brawl through the crowd. The Undertaker smashes Maven's head through the popcorn machine and then grabs a <laughs> handful of pop. 
popcorn and eats it, and some of the popcorn falls between his big Undertaker tits. <laughs> That's a really vivid memory of a, of an old pay-per-view that I have. I don't even know if anyone remembers Maven. No, I do. He, he, didn't he throw Royal? Uh, didn't he throw Undertaker out of the Rumble as well? I think so. And he was he was shit. He was the first winner of <laughs> enough, I think, or something. Something like that. Oh, uh, the spot I wish Mafuni could have done is the rock spot where you battle to the announce table and you take a swig of water and then you spit in their face. <laughs> Or uh, another Undertaker one from a WrestleMania, Chokeslam Triple H off one of the camera stands. And it looks really impressive, but unfortunately they filmed it from above as well. And they they do a replay and you just see Triple H land on a very comfortable mattress. (laughs) Yeah, but um, Abby, for once it isn't you who got us onto wrestling, so I can only apologise. I know wrestling. Abby, what no, did you... I brought it up the very first time. That's Obviously, okay then. Now it's implanted. Yeah, once it's in, that's it. Uh, as as uh, I know, Abby, you like Jamie. You're not that fussed on sword fights and this kind of thing. Did this one impress you, or did you have any thoughts on it as a battle? But it's more. It's like Jamie's been saying about the age thing. It's more just they're fucking doing that. Fair play. Yeah. There's, there's no argument with that. I can see him. And it's not all—it's it. not all fast cuts and edits and like you know. It's we're just watching two guys twat each other with sticks. I will say though, to um, not to bring it back to Star Wars too much, but um, it did. It kind of reminded me of this a similarly uh, slower paced uh, the lightsaber fight in Empire Strikes Back between uh, Darth Vader and uh, Luke. Yeah, which is. Uh, the best lightsaber fight in the entire Star Wars series because it has weight to it, which this does too. Like you immediately get a sense of the history of these two generals, and again, like the two guys, like the two main characters, it never really is necessary to go into what exactly their history is. It gives you enough, and you understand exactly what the meaning of all of this is. Yeah. Anthony, did you care for the fact that this movie keeps changing? Like, it's a, a comedy, it's a heist movie, suddenly it's like an action movie. Did this, did this keep you on the edge of your seat, or did you find it a bit an unknown quantity? What were you thinking at this point? Well, I'd say it was, you know, there was practically a comedic edge in every scene. Sure. It's definitely um, more of a comedy than the other samurai movies he made. Yeah, um, I was a bit surprised at kind of like the scope of it all. Um, there was plenty of like uh, adventure and um, sneaking around, tension, uh, even thrills, like, even like you know little bits of drama as well. Hmm. Um, so no, I you know it, it it all helped to keep the pace going for me. Yeah, I I, I thought it'd be something you appreciated, but I you know I can't assume. I do have to hear from you. On the matter, I like I I appreciated it as well. I think like you, it's good that the comedy was throughout. I would have been a bit disappointed if it had just tonally switched without any explanation. Because Mafune is kind of funny, so he's not the comedy character particularly, but he's like a he works as a foil to the peasants. But he also has the kind of comedy edge in every scene he's in because he's such a you sort of don't know what he's going to do at any point. He's a very um, enigmatic performer. 
the other thing that it did remind me of a few times uh, was uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, especially the first one, the Fellowship of the Ring, that like the two main guys were particularly shitty hobbits, and Mufune <laughs> was basically Aragorn, just slightly <laughs> angrier. Yeah, I could I could see some similarities now you mention it. Yeah, in many ways it must have worked as a template from other for other filmmakers, some really good ideas to steal from. But uh, but but the whole gang are back together then. Mafuni runs back off. I guess all the soldiers are like, "Oh fuck, don't don't mess with him." He basically indignantly throws the spear back and he refuses to execute the defeated uh general opponent. Uh even though the guy wants to be killed as a sort of honor I thing. Think, I think he, the idea is he wants to like if he's going to kill him, he wants to do it on an actual battlefield, not just in a random in- Hunter when yeah. he's on the run. Plus, you know, it, if he doesn't kill him, none of the other soldiers have to decide what to do now. Like, if he if he murders him, that's a problem. If he leaves him live, at least the general can get up and be like, "Okay, you beat me. You bet. You you bested me. You let me live. I guess we'll I'll see you next time, gadget or whatever." Um, but yeah. Anyway, the, the rest of the gang are back together, but it's not it's not that long before they're all sort of in super serious danger. Like they basically end up being on a battlefield surrounded by. Oh, there's the oh no, there's the whole fucking fire thing. Christ, there's a lot of this bloody film, isn't there? Yes. <laughs> I totally forgot. Like, like yeah, because the one of the most like so to how level some criticism. It's they've got all the gold in in like sticks, and then wouldn't you know? They've stumbled into an area that are having a fire festival where everyone's got carrying loads of sticks and they sort of awkwardly get caught up in it, into it and are all forced to join the fire festival and they have to burn their gold sticks. And it's, a, it's a big, like, potential problem. They can't go anywhere because they look suspicious and they're kind of forced into burning the gold in the fire and awkwardly dancing in the festival when they really don't want to, especially the peasant guys. They look so bereft and sad and still have to spin around and dance. So funny. I like. I really like the kind of eerie song that the people mm. at the festival sing. Um, I also like that nothing, no circumstances come along to like save them. It just cuts to the next day and they're having to dig the gold out of all the ashes of the fire. Yeah. You know, it's it's such a... I mean, I did... Did anyone else think, oh, it's a bit convenient that the one way they've disguised their gold is the one... Like, the fact that they everyone has sticks now. It's like, if it was a water festival, nope, they wouldn't... What would they be doing? Like, oh, we're all hidden in fish? I don't know. Like, what... What a coincidence it is <laughs> that the people carrying sticks across the country are now in a place where everyone has sticks. That was anyone like pulled out of it a bit by the oh the contrivedness of this or was it just oh this is fun I don't care. Well, because I because it's so culturally and temporarily removed, I don't know like how common it would be for there to be a festival like that because to them that could be quite commonplace. They've oh, just stumbled. They stumbled into the uh, plot of Wicker Man. <laughs> oh, looks like we're burning uh, a man alive in a big Wicker Man. Well, better go on with it. Question nothing. Uh, I think it just kind of suits the kind of actiony adventure side of it, where you know it's it's happened already, where you know they've they've had to sell their horses by coincidence. Um, 
which led to them having a cart, which led to them in this situation. It just, it makes more sense to have, like, these kind of uh, convenient plot points. Otherwise, you know, you've got to keep the pace up. And this film has been really good at doing that. And it's playful, isn't it? It's not taking itself too seriously. Hmm. Yeah, what I like uh, about their predicament. So they, the next morning, they're digging all the gold out of the bonfire ashes, and you keep thinking they're going to be caught and killed, and they're kind of not. And it's only the fact that the peasants who, like, they haven't dug up all the gold yet, and everyone's like, "Come on, that's enough. We've got to get out of here." And then the two peasant guys are like, "No, we're going back. We we can't leave gold. We we love gold so much. We have to get it all. I can't. The, the idea that anyone else could find the gold in the ash." No, they can't stand for it. They are kind of caught, but by two equally greedy guards who accidentally join them for a bit and then fuck them over. Well, it's they they get they get sort of bullied by Mifuni, don't they? They the two guards are too shit to like actually stop them, so then they have to carry the load for everyone. (laughs) Yeah, and I it's again it's it's that mix of heightened sort of action like heightened comedy but also heightened and heightened element of reality because it's one of those situations where two new people just sort of end up joining the group in the same way that like shit just happens sometimes <laughs> yeah like these two stupid soldiers these two stupid soldiers could have been our protagonists at the start of the film. It's like, oh, two incompetent soldiers are forced to carry gold for the enemy because they're too shit to kill them or arrest them. And so it could have been about them. But unfortunately, when they break free and the, the, like basically their own army has f- caught up with everyone and they run and say, oh, it's us, please help. They just get shot by their own side while they're trying to kill yeah, the princess I mean, and uh, the general like, and so forth. Kind of. I kind of figured that was why they were um, partly why they went along with it is they knew because they dropped their swords and taken up the gold. If they even did go back, they would just be killed for abandoning their their duty anyway. I, I would have ha- been happy if they'd have just joined the new entourage and switched sides and started the new kingdom off. So once they're kind of un- pinned under fire, the peasants escape. Our heroes, we, they, our heroes prove themselves because they rescue the prostitute lady and this, like, Mifune goes after her, bandages her up, and they run off. This is where they hide as, they disguise themselves as shrubs. But yes, this is the bit where they, where the peasants hide themselves as shrubs and decide they're going to betray them, everyone again. But meanwhile, our proper stoic heroes are temporarily caught by the general from earlier, right? Yeah, they they get caught, which is what leads to the two peasants going to like report them, and then they're just laughed out of the. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even get. They don't even get in any way apprehended. They're just allowed to leave because they're just worthless. <laughs> which is, I mean, that's fair, isn't it? Why kill them? They're not worth killing. I also do like that there is towards the end, um, they end up back out in essentially the middle of nowhere again in the same way they started. Yeah, so the pe- the peasants are down on their luck and kicked out, and we leave them for a bit. And basically, uh, the he- the heroic protagonists are tied up, uh, I guess, in the the base or fort of or HQ of the opposing army. 
where which they has a little sing. They have a little sing song, don't they? Yeah, which was really haunting. Again, I think because there is there's a lot about all of these characters that is very easy to engage with. Moments like this, where it does get like a little bit more serious, it, it's so sparing with the re- like heavier drama that when it does bring it in it lands really well because you've you've become attached to these characters because for the most part it's it's all been quite light so you're you know you're kind of happy to be following this journey so when it comes to this point you're like oh fuck this is this is really sad all of a sudden and looking at the clock as well i was like god there's not a lot of time to rescue everyone and have this conclude at this point this is two hours long and we're wrapping this up really quickly was it was it the fact that they're kind of uh, willing to accept their fate that the general sort of t- changed his mind, or the fact that they're singing? What, what was the deciding factor? And basically, this general out of nowhere goes, "I like you guys. I'm going to betray my guys and set you free and fight off my own soldiers." Yeah, the guy who the guy who he dueled with earlier comes back as to aid the, I guess, like prosecution, and then whenever they're being taken to be executed, he comes out and helps them escape. And I think it's just... He... Isn't it something about because he lost the fight, he's dishonoured and now people aren't taking him seriously? Yeah, because he's got the shit beat out of him. He has a scar on his face. That's a part of it, but I think uh, it's mainly because of the princess, because when they're they're tied up, she says... um, she has like a speech about um, that's you know that's horrible what's happened to you, um, you know I'd I'd never do that, and then she says she's thankful to um, Makabe for for the journey you know the like the last uh, however long it's been on the on the journey with them has been like the best time of her life and she's been able to see. Uh, the world for as it is. Yes, it's being, like sheltered in uh It's very um. Fortress. I, what's that story um, where she sw- like? What's this, the classic story of a the princess who lives as a pauper? I guess it's the prince and the pauper. But like, yeah. she prince <laughs> she's Princess Jasmine. She's seen how the peasants lives and, and she respects yeah. that now. Yeah, you're right, Anthony. Go on, sorry. Yeah, so I think like, and then that's what he says when he finally kind of like lets them go, is uh. Like she'll make a good leader, get out of here, kind of thing. Real suspect, r- real respect, real, and then lets them go. I mean, he like beats up some of his soldiers and sees them off, but also releases the horses that have the gold on now. Uh, and it's basically a big, you know, schmoz kind of. Uh, let's just get the fuck out of here, and they take, like, take these horses and go. Seriously though, go because. But really go because there's a shit ton of guys. If they realise they can outnumber me quite easily, despite being having a big stick, um, the, 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 if anything, the, anyone who isn't a general in this and is just a regular soldier looks really bad. They look really incompetent all the time. <laughs> it's basically a movie for officers only <laughs> and higher. Because if you're a regular schmo, you're shit. You're either an idiot who can't do a checkpoint properly, or you're just useless at fighting. Prison breaks. Like literally, every soldier in charge of anything fails miserably <laughs> at every facet of every job. It's really negative, I guess, towards them. But they go free, and like the, the golden horses uh, become like an almost poetic ending for our peasants, because while our proper heroes are escaping, 
without the treasure, the horses just wander into the wasteland and find our two dipshit peasants arguing uh, again. <laughs> and then... No, they, they're not... Oh, they're no, they've not promised, they promised to be friends, haven't they? They promised to be... Yeah, they, they promised that they'll be friends uh, when they get back to the village and they seem to have like put their differences aside until the horses turn up. And then immediately one of them is like, no, 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 all of these horses are mine, because I noticed them first. <laughs> like, it's like and a, there's also yeah. The, the, yeah, they get confronted by uh, soldiers again who arrest them, and the cut to them in the cell where they say they'll still be friends in heaven. <laughs> they think they're getting executed. I do. I like the fact that it's kind of almost a callback to the first time they find gold, where it's like, well, I found the gold. It's like, well, we yep. were 50-50, mate, 50-50. Well, I, I found it. And then this time it's like, right, the horses have turned up. I saw them first. I, They're I, mine. I, I like this recurring theme of they always have exactly the right amount of gold to evenly divide between each other. But and they still can't. can't yeah. And then, uh, rather fittingly, when they are imprisoned, I guess they're just freed, right? They're taken to the, the princess's court. Yeah, and so they don't know what, they don't know what their fate is, and they're they're put dumped in front of these seemingly different looking people, aren't they? They're dumped in front of the princess's even more magnificent, practically horizontal painted well, eyebrows, practically, practically vertical eyebrows. Like with that classic, women's eyebrows are so unsexy. If only they were like little hairy caterpillars, and at the top of their fucking head, they'd be so much more attractive in makeup. It's uh, it is. Insane what they what they do, to, and I'm sure it's like a traditional thing. And I'm not, you know, I don't mean any offence, but fucking hell, this is like <laughs> what was his what's his name that was in Barbarella that was also in Gladiator <laughs> with this fucking amazing eyebrows. Oh, uh, oh, um, uh, oh, uh, um, yeah, t- uh, is it Terry? No, fuck. Wait, <laughs> wait a minute. Uh, I always remember him saying Antioch in uh, Gladiator, but uh, David Hemming. David Hemming. Yeah, she has got she has got some fucking David Hemming's eyebrow creativity going on. It was the same for in like uh, Throne of Blood. Uh, the Lady Macbeth character had like ridiculous <laughs> eyebrows. I guess that's just the look of the time. Hmm, samurai have a stupid bald haircut. You're gonna go bald. We may as well shave it off preemptively and tie what's left up in a ponytail. And women, nah, your face doesn't look pretty enough. Paint it white. Tongue, teeth black. Eyebrows up in just, the air. <laughs> like, just to uh, bring wrestling back into it, but one more time. D- did Hulk Hogan maintain that haircut because he felt it made him look like a samurai? <laughs> he just... Uh, see, he didn't have hair. He just had hair t- stapled inside a bandana. <laughs> he All of his bandanas came with a little curtain that he didn't... He was meant to disregard that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how his... I don't know, I don't know how Hulk Hogan was popular when he had that haircut. <laughs> Amazing. Uh... Yeah, but basically, uh, Mafuni is in his like cool samurai outfit. So there's a, there's an element of oh, you didn't recognise us, did you, dickheads? We're we're all pimp now and looking really handsome. I think she says you look really handsome now in your new uniform. Yeah. <laughs> and I then like the... That, I like that when she says that his friend laughs at him. <laughs> I felt like that was relatable. Yeah, it's scarred. The scarred general's like gay. <laughs> 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 Woman fancies you. <laughs> 
I will say as well, um, with the samurai getup, again, I've been playing Ghost of Tsushima and you can do a lot of different costume, uh, you know, uh, modifications to kind of dress your character how you want. And it gets really addictive just fucking with your outfit. Yeah. My nephew has it and it does look like, oh, you've put all the Kurosawa movies into one game. <laughs> Good job. Basically. That's, they love their weird funky headpieces and weird masks and shit, don't they? Yeah. But this just this is the classic stick a moon on your hat look. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, like the, the upshot of it all is the peasants are thanked, I guess, even though they don't necessarily deserve it for betraying them at every turn. But well, they did they did I mean, carry some gold. And... Yeah, they did a lot of the, the, the grunt work. Um and I guess the princess doesn't know that they were thinking of raping her. <laughs> Although the the woman who washes uh, the woman they bought the prostitute lady, I guess she knows because she had she. There's also a sense that that woman could have betrayed them because she finds out oh there's a bounty. I could betray. I could inform on the where the princess is and be quite rich. I'm not, what happens to her? I don't remember seeing her in the end. Generally, she's at the end. I think because she's not like a a lord or lady. She would, but she can live happily, I guess, in the court somewhere. She's not. In it, I don't yeah. think she's rescued though, like because she basically was yeah. going to be killed by the soldiers and uh, gets like saved. But anyway, they, they're given the two uh, peasants are given some gold as a thank you, just one gold, and the, for once, the the one time they don't don't have it easy to split between them, they agree that oh, they're going to split it, and then one of them, oh, you keep the gold, it's fine, don't worry about us sharing yeah, it. Yeah, I just I I did not pick up on that when I watched it, the fact that. All the times they had easily divisible amounts of gold, they couldn't. But then when they had one piece, they just agreed. Um, I did think at the end it was going to do a... Um, whenever whenever he says, you know, you take it, and then the other one says, no, you keep it, I thought they were going to fight over that. Yeah. Like, no, you keep that, and then it was going to end yeah. on fighting again. Easily have. Yeah. But it was quite the epic journey, and I did. I liked uh, that it was bookended by the two peasant guys because they're the real. They stole the show for once. Mafuni is usually all of the, the te- all the attention's on him, but these two guys were fucking hilarious. I mean, he did as good as they were. He also does dominate yeah, a yeah. lot of the scenes because there is, like you said, there's a there is like a subtle comedy to a lot of what he does. Well, he literally dominates, and that's kind of funny, isn't it? My, you know, my impression of him, just from my vague knowledge before this, of, like, samurai movies and stuff, was, you know, oh, yeah, you know, stoic hero type of character. Um, So, how kind of not necessarily completely good, and also how uh, comedic his character was were that both of those things were unexpected for me hmm. but yeah there's nothing really to complain about I've tried a little bit to to criticize the more dubious parts of the plot that are very convenient but really it's all in good fun and entertaining so I can't really complain does anyone else have any additional thoughts or notes they we missed out on only because we've mentioned Star Wars so much I think, like, we've missed, like, the main kind of bit that he stole, and that was the kind of, like, screen-wipe transitions oh, that yeah. happen all <laughs> yeah. the way through. 
What a thing to steal as well. To watch it and go, oh, do I quite like the way those those wipes happen. <laughs> but, Transition. But I can see why, because they were really effective in keeping the pace. Because they also, would like, switch from scene to scene so kind of like quickly and seamlessly. And yet you knew exactly like, you know, how much kind of time has passed or what's happening. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I did, uh, also, um, George Lucas has, I think, openly talked about the influence of this film on Star Wars. So he doesn't even actually steal stuff. Um, he was also apparently considering uh, trying to get Mifuni to play Obi-Wan Kenobi originally. Well, that'd be good. That'd be kind of weird. Oh, right? Oh. I know. Like, as, as good as Alec Guinness was, and as funny as it is, that story of him telling that kid to never watch Star Wars again. As long um, as as long as long he didn't make Mufuni do the kind of racist alien Asian voices from the, oh from the later films. Oh <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Maybe be glad he wasn't in it. Yeah, I like the fact that they it made Alec Guinness kind of, like everyone knew him for something he had no respect for. And that not only did he hate the first one, they also brought him back for two more. <laughs> like he he died and thought, "Oh, good, I don't have to do this shit again." Like, no, you'll be a ghost in the other ones. All of his legacy, and then he's known for Star Wars. This one scene in Return of the Jedi, he's a ghost, but he still fucking sits down because he couldn't be bothered <laughs> to lift his lines. Oh, anyway, uh, the Hidden Fortress. Uh, anyone got any metaphors they want to trot out? It's a tough one. It's a really cool fortress with hidden areas and things I didn't expect. It's... I'm using my food metaphor card, which I haven't used in a long time. Don't criticise me. <laughs> That's fine. You go on. But it's like when you order a pudding in a restaurant and you find out there's a pudding inside your pudding. Uh, when has that <laughs> happened again? Where it's like, oh, you realise there's more layers than you thought. And you're like, there's a fucking liquid in here. What the hell? There's a cheesecake in my eclair. <laughs> 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 On the surface of this, there isn't a lot to it, but like when you, as it goes on and as you dig in, it just gets more delightful. You're like, yes, I'm so happy that they chose this. So it's hidden dessert. Is my <laughs> hidden dessert? <laughs> oh, it's like a Zumbo dessert, like that Australian ball bloke who does amazing desserts where. Oh, does it look like a barbecue? I've just cut through it, and it's actually several amazing fondants and desserts and cakes. What? <laughs> just like the most amazing allusion. No, I don't know. It's because you know you you kind of know what you're in for, but it is just endlessly pleasant, isn't it? It just keeps. It's the gift that keeps giving. I don't know. I I haven't got anything either. It's it's really like. How do you say I, something is good in a metaphor? You don't need to. You don't need a metaphor for uh, really authentic and good. And cinematography is amazing. The sound is amazing. The the just the the way that Kurosawa places characters in a scene. I love the way that everything looks epic and brilliant, and the use of the foreground and background to place the characters. It's it's hilarious. It's entertaining. I mean, what the fuck? Like, it's too good. It's definitely, it's it's one of those films as. I guess uh, as maybe like cheesy as it is to say, it's a textbook example of a particular type of film. Like it's a really good 
example of a kind of classic epic and how you put one together. Like, you can break it down for, like, a film class and say, this is why this works, this is why this works, and this is why all of those things are still done now in films like that. Yeah. That's why this genre is constructed the way it is. Um, yeah, this is the textbook I, from which other films will be made. Yeah. Um, I think I do uh, kind of have a very uh, uh, specific to me <laughs> metaphor that's not a metaphor. Uh, okay. Which is, because this is the first, like, Kurosawa film and samurai film, really, that I've watched properly, and it's two hours long, and it covers a lot of different things, um, the first uh, wrestling pay-per-view I fully watched properly was WrestleMania 17. Oh, uh, mate. Sorry. Can't start with that WrestleMania X7. You can't, um, you can't start with that. You can't, that's not, that sets the curve too high. You can't be watching that one. Um, And it is, like, I had, you know, it was in, it was 2001, and I had started sort of tentatively watching bits of wrestling, but wasn't, I had enjoyed the S64 games. So again, influences and things that came from the original thing. Um, And I'd been watching bits of pay-per-views, like the the backstage stuff and some of the more, like, over-the-top matches, because that's the stuff I like. But I'd never sat and watched a full pay-per-view from beginning to end and that year's WrestleMania was WrestleMania 17. I mean watching I watching that it. first is like losing your virginity in a in a orgy like well, like it's just not <laughs> yeah, right yeah. like and it uh, but that's what i mean like it was like it was the, i what i think i actually now that i think about it i had watched earlier ones but i but i'd fast forwarded through certain parts like it wasn't until X7 that I watched the entire thing and it clicked. I was like, oh when this is all done right and has all of the ingredients in the proper measurements, this is why people get really into this and pay, you know, pay pay-per-view costs to watch it live or exorbitant ticket prices to go and see it because it is like it, you know WrestleMania 17 is one of the best ones if not the best. It's a spectacular show. And it has all the elements that make wrestling fun. Um, sure. I, it's kind of that. It's the equivalent of that when it comes to like classic movies of, of a certain genre for me. Like it's it's jumping in on one of the biggest and best ones as my first exposure to it and being like, oh, okay. Ah, Mr. Ambassador, you're spoiling us. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Chris Jericho peed in uh, William Regal's tea. Okay. Why? That's, what? That's how it still starts. That's how it starts. It's the first match is between William Regal and Chris Jericho, and they do the like story builder pay per view. And one of the things that happened was Jericho peed in William Regal's tea. That's nice, but I don't know how it relates to the film. It doesn't. It's just. It's a great WrestleMania. The Undertaker has long ginger hair, but is also bald. It's the chef's kiss of wrestling pay per views, and it is the chef's kiss of. Uh... Funny comedy samurai movies. Not that also, I've seen that yeah. many. The, it has the right balance of of comedy and action and yeah. some actual drama. Yeah, yeah, it's just a it's a gift. Yeah, 
I mean, I don't know. I, I'm going to quickly just say it was uh, an awesome pillow. It's a pillow fort, which is, they're so fun, pillow forts. You can't help but enjoy them. If you've built a pillow fortress ever, and you've got endless, like, actually, it's a pillow fortress built by, like, uh, one of those TV, well, you get a TV team comes in and makes you a pillow fortress. It's not, like, some amateur shit. The professionals have come in and converted your bedroom into a pillow fort- fortress-themed room, and it's the coolest thing. There's, like, bridge, there's, like, uh, rope ladders and various sections and extra bits and tunnels and, uh, you know, a slide and um, a fireman's pole. It's got everything you'd want of a magical pillow fortress. Bit of everything, you've, super enjoyable. You've just created a really weird new subgenre of reality TV. Yeah, haven't you watched uh, any of those DIY pillow fortress SOS? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen comes in and he redecorates your house with pillows and they're all garish horrible colours but they you love it I don't know good good idea for a show perhaps but I did my metaphor I tried damn it uh, Anthony have you got one? Uh, yeah I think I've probably used this one before but I'm struggling so I'll just use it again but it's like when when like Britain or America take cuisine from other countries and make it their own, it's usually inferior. It doesn't taste as nice. It's usually fattier and it's full of MSG and God knows what. So for me, the film is where like Japan takes something from our culture and adds their culture to it and it just becomes better. Hmm. Yeah. So it's like a, a Japanese take on like American cuisine, which is just nicer because, you know, they're better at food. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, if Kurosawa was a chef, he'd be a Michelin star chef, definitely. He just knows what he's fucking doing, and there's not enough of that these days. There's not enough of a director who just he may endanger the lives of all of his uh, actors by making them do incredible like mass prison riots or fuck genuinely around with sticks and weapons, but uh, he knows how to make it look good, and I, I respect that. But yeah, uh, I mean, what else can we say? Nothing, I guess. But uh, we're all gonna burn our own fortresses down and go and run away and live somewhere else. No, we're going to pretend, continue uh, to be peasants in the gonna, dirt. Yeah, I was going to say, wander back out into the wasteland, endlessly arguing. Yeah. Yeah, join us next time for another pe- Peasants Arguing About a Thing podcast or another film. Is the ultimate metaphor that the reason we liked the two main characters is because we are the main characters in this film? Just and our goal is movies. Yeah, bickering presence in the mud. That's us. Anyway, goodbye for now. Bye. Bye. Shitworm. You're a fucking shitworm. <laughs>